Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Good to be here today. I'll have you turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. We continue our study in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21 is our text today. Two weeks ago, we looked at Philippians chapter 3 um, in the beginning of the chapter, all the way up to um, verse 11. And we saw the contrast between religion and relationship. And towards the end, verses like 8, 9, 10, 11, uh, Paul really focused on and made it clear that Christianity is not about following a set of rules, but Christianity is about pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul is now going to elaborate on that today. He's going to focus on that. Now, I'm going to just read a, a scripture. You don't have to turn there. Romans 8.28 and then 8.29. It's very important to have 8.29 there uh, to understand what 8.28 says. But this is what it says. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And we're familiar with that. But verse 29 gives us clarity of what all things are working towards. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You see, God saved us and he is making us, he's conformist into the image of his son, or he's making us like Christ. Think of it morally. Jesus Christ was morally impeccable. He was perfect. Every thought was perfect. Every action was perfect. God, when he saved us, is making us like that. And in 1 Peter 1, 16, it says, Be holy, for I am holy. He's making us holy. He's making us pure. That's the work that God is doing. That's his lifelong work and his priority in our lives. And that's what Paul is talking about today. Pursuing Jesus Christ in the sense of pursuing this goal of being more like Christ. Now, Robert Mary McShane, John Piper, um, who has a uh, ministry called Desiring God and was a pastor for many years at a, a church in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, um, does uh, some very good biographies on men of the past, which I would recommend. If you go to the Desiring God website and check out biographies, they're about an hour to an hour and a half. You can listen to them or read them. But he says this about McShane. Robert Mary McShane, who was a, a Anglican preacher, the Church of Scotland back in the, the around 1850, 1860 era, he was a man of God, it says this about him. His supreme joy was to know Christ. He lived in fellowship with Jesus through the word and prayer. And the thorn of his suffering, because he died at an early age of 29 and suffered much of his life, intensified and purified that fellowship so that we're still being inspired by it some 170 years later. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Indians 
He rode on horseback actually through New Jersey um, and Pennsylvania, Delaware, Water Gap, and that area. Great man of God was used of God greatly. It says this about him. Brainerd was consumed with a passion to finish his race. What race? That pursuit of being more like Christ. And honor his master and spread the kingdom and advance in personal holiness. He said this, Brainerd. When I really enjoy God, I feel my desires of him the more insatiable. And my thirstings after holiness, the more unquenchable. Oh, for holiness. And then he describes what holiness is. He gives a definition. Because holiness is not this, just standing here like this. That's not holiness, right? Oh, for more of God in my soul. That's holiness. It's Christ living through us. Christ, God making us more like Jesus Christ. And Paul speaks about that very thing today in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. Now, I got four points today in this pursuit. It is a passionate pursuit. It's not a casual pursuit of Christ. It's a passionate pursuit, we'll see. Number two, it's a present pursuit. Paul did not rest on his past laurels. You know the saying, what have you done for me lately? God's not interested in, in what we've done yesterday. He's interested in what we're doing today and tomorrow. A present pursuit. A precise pursuit. Single-minded. Paul was single-minded on this pursuit. This was his, his goal of life. And number four, a perilous pursuit. Why? Because there are many obstacles in the way, especially in the way of false teaching. And false teaching is destructive. Because false teaching is given by people who open up the word of God, and many are very eloquent, but they're not teaching what the scriptures really say. And so let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll consider this portion of scripture. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for each person here today. Um, thank you, Lord, for this, this topic. And we know it's a very dear and important topic. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, that you saved us to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. You saved us to build a relationship with you. And that relationship is one that is through your word and through prayer and through confessing sin and through passionate pursuit of you. And I pray today as we wind up this year, 2021, and we look towards 2022, and may this be our first and primary goal to build a relationship with you, to, to, to improve and to increase in this important pursuit. We pray today that you will speak to us through the word of God, and we pray that Jesus Christ alone is lifted up. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Passionate pursuit opposed to a casual. Now, when we were kids, when I was probably about 12 or 13 years old, I can remember playing this game with my brother Frank, who was about 17 years old and was basically crazy. And we were crazy to play this with them. It was me and my brothers and friends and my sisters and their friends. And the game was played in the dark and it was called the football game. And my brother Frank would take a football, not a Nerf football, a hard football, and he would chase us around the house. 
And the object of the game was him to take that football and throw it at you as hard as he could. Okay, that was the game. And we, for some reason, like to play it. Okay? Now, when you were running from Frank, you were running with a passion, right? Not a casual run. And now, if you look at verse 12 of chapter 3, when it says, not, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but look at it, it says, but I press on. That's that word. You are pressing on or you are fleeing from someone who is trying to hurt you. That's what that word means in the original language. Okay. So Paul is pressing on. He says that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. In other words, that pursuit of being more like Jesus Christ. Christ saved Paul. Why? To be in fellowship with him. Christ laid hold of Paul on the Damascus Road. Why? Because he wanted Paul to pursue that relationship. You go back to verse 10 where Paul is wrapping up. We saw that two weeks ago. Uh, again, that I may know him. So Paul is pressing on. He's fleeing from persecution with that urgency to know Jesus Christ. That's the idea here. He is pressing on, in verse 10 again, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to pursue that new life like somebody's out to hurt me. That's the idea. So when God, so when we say here it's a passionate pursuit, that's exactly what it is. It's that type of pursuit that Paul is pressing on in his relationship with Jesus Christ. In the beginning of verse 12, he says, says, not that I have already attained. I've not arrived at this. Okay. This is a lifelong pursuit. Paul is, 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 is winding down his life probably in, in just a few years. He has many years of ministry under his belt, probably 29 or 30. But he's saying, but I haven't arrived yet. He says this, or I'm already perfected. Perfected has the idea of not perfect like sinless, but again, here's when you got saved. Here's where God's taking you to. And Paul says, I haven't reached that point yet, right? But I press on. I am pursuing that with a passion and a vigor. We had Brother Mark read Psalm 63 that talks about that pursuit of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that God is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. What's the prize? A closer relationship with him. The Bible says that Moses knew God face to face because his passionate pursuit of God. Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after what? You, my object the object of my affection. Psalm 27, verse 8, David writes, When you said, seek my face, then my heart said, Lord, your face I will seek. Seeking God's face means you want to know everything about God. A passionate pursuit. The scriptures over and over and over speak of this passionate pursuit, yet I kind of agree what Andrew Mary said in his book, Waiting on God, which, by the way, I would highly recommend. He said this, 
the great lack of our Christianity is we do not know God. We do not know God. And that's what Paul is speaking of. There are so many books out there that speak of so many different things except for the pursuit, the devotion, the desire for, the need for God and increasing our relationship with Him. Now, not only is it a pursuing Christness, a passionate, but a present pursuit of God. Paul was on three missionary journeys and probably two after this, after he left. That's, that's not in, in Acts. He planted at least 14 churches. He was beaten on several occasions. He was left for dead in Iconium. And some think, which is possible, that he actually did die. And that's why he wrote 2 Corinthians 11 about being in the third heaven. And then God brought him back to life. And that's certainly a possibility. He had the scars of his Christianity from his pursuit of God. And yet he says this in verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Again, I have not arrived. I have room for improvement in this area. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. That reaching forward, by the way, is, is a racer, somebody that's sprinting, and they're going for the finish line, and they reach for it to hit the tape. That's the idea there. Now, Paul is saying this, I forget those things which are behind. And that might include, that might include the fact that he persecuted the church, although I've said this before, he brings it up often, so I'm not sure that he ever really forgot about that. I think God probably used that in his life to motivate him. Not necessarily forgetting the fact of his past and his ties into Judaism. Oh, that could be part of it. But I think that Paul is saying here that I am not resting on my past laurels. I'm not sitting back with my feet up and saying, you know what? God has used me and I have pursued God and now I'm just going to kind of take it easy the rest of my life. That's not what he's saying. Paul is saying that I'm forgetting what I did yesterday and the day before and the things I've accomplished, and I'm going to continue that pursuit for Christ. When we're in Ireland, there is a missionary that was used of God to plant a church in a hard area. It was God used him, and it was an amazing thing. That was before I arrived. He never did anything after that. I kept talking about that church. Nothing. Just a little fellowship and never really pursued it anymore. That's not the Apostle Paul. But even in this context, the idea there is I am passionately going to continue to build my walk with Christ. As this year winds down, I'm going to be passionate to build my relationship with Christ. I'm not going to take it easy. It doesn't mean there's not a time for a holiday or a vacation or anything like that, but it means, generally speaking, I'm pursuing Christ. We're not... Resting on our past laurels. That's what Paul is saying. Thirdly, it's a precise pursuit. It's single-minded. Look what he says in verse 14. I press toward the goal. That word where it says, I press toward, that's our word from fleeing from Frank, who's trying to hit us with a football, right? That's, that's the word. So it's fleeing. So I press toward 
the goal. The word goal there is is in the uh, Greek language, it's skopos. And you could probably think about what that word is used in the English language. In the Greek, it's skopos. It's scope, okay? So you're focused on something. You have a telescope, you're focusing on something. You have a, 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 a scope like uh, to look out at, at the, or microscope focus, the telescope to look at the, the moon. You're focusing in on something. That's what Paul's saying. He's focused. That's where you get to single-minded. I press toward the goal, the scopus, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can think of this as a sprinter because the word prize is a word that was used as a, um, like a, an award for winning a race. And Paul is saying, almost think of a sprinter. The sprinter starts up a hundred meter dash and, and it focuses at the, the finish line. The sprinter takes off. He never looks to the left and never looks to the right. He or she, the focus is on the finish line. The sprinter doesn't pull back at the finish line. The, the sprinter runs through the, the, the finish line. That's Paul's skill, what he's doing. He's not distracted to the left or to the right. His goal is he's focused on, I am building a relationship with Jesus Christ. I am building a relationship with Jesus Christ. I am pursuing Jesus Christ. Whatever happens secondarily is a byproduct. Now listen, it's a byproduct of my relationship to Jesus Christ. That's what we have to get. You see, the problem with the church today is Many churches are out doing and doing and doing, and it's under our power. And it's getting you nowhere. And today in America, in this time of the year, I don't know what's happened in the past, and I'm glad for what God has done in the past, but I'm telling you right now, the things that happened in the past and the methods that we use and the way this church was built, the Sunday schools and the, and the kids and all that, that's probably not going to happen again. I hope we understand that. But it doesn't mean God can't do a work. But it's not going to come without a price. And that price is going to be our pursuit of Christ. Because we need the power of God today. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and see what Paul says to himself. The pursuit of Christ is the goal. Being used of God. Seeing people saved, seeing church, church growth is a byproduct of the pursuit of Christ. That's what I believe the Bible teaches. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. Remember the church at Corinth was a very carnal church. There was divisions in the church. They weren't, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, there was church discipline and they weren't implementing it. And they were taking each other to court. And there's all kinds of problems. They're misusing the, the sign gifts. Paul's writing that church in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. The coronal church. And I, brethren, Paul says, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Now, the church at Corinth is in Greece. And the Greeks loved wisdom and knowledge and they hated weakness they were into the outward things they had their eloquent preachers that's who they 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 were following and paul says when i came to you 
I didn't come to you with this excellent speech, this elegant speech. When I came to you, I didn't come with words of wisdom and intellect and try to win you to Christ that way. Because that's useless, Paul said. For I, verse 2, determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was more concerned about my walk with God than I was about intellectual knowledge and brushing up on those things and somehow using the power of persuasion to influence the church. Although Paul was very intelligent, I didn't use that. I was with you, verse 3, look at this, in weakness and fear and much trembling. Oh, the Greeks hated weakness. Oh, our society today hates weakness. I am powerful. Always the commercials. I am strong. No, you're not. No, you're not. Jesus Christ said, without me, you can do nothing. Not a thing. It's not our talents. It's not our natural abilities. It's our heart. It's our loyalty. It's our allegiance. It's our pursuit of God that he's interested in. Paul says, I came to you in fear. I came to you in weakness. And my speech and my preaching, and look at this, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Now look at it. But in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now look, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, you could even have a big evangelical campaign and preach and manipulate people and tell people to walk an aisle and pray a prayer and can they pray and they can pray a prayer and they can walk out and they're unsaved. Charles Finney was the one that started those big evangelical things in the meetings and had people walk aisles and pray a prayer and he would admit later in his life that 80 to 90 percent of the people that prayed that prayer were not converted. It was human wisdom. Now, if you walked an aisle and you prayed a prayer, that doesn't mean you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. But there was a lot of human wisdom and manipulation. But Paul is saying, I came in the power of God because I was close to God. And because of that, God broke through and God opened your eyes and God saved you. There's no such thing as a soul winner. The only soul winner is the spirit of God. We can convey the message, but God has to open the eyes and bring people to Christ. And I say all that to say that this, Paul's missionary work and what made him such an effective missionary, the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, is because of his pursuit of Jesus Christ, because he had the power of God. Now, let's go back to Philippians chapter 2 excuse me, chapter 3. And let's look at our fourth point. Pursuing Christ-likeness, a passionate pursuit, a present pursuit, a precise pursuit. Paul elaborates that in verse 15 too. Because look what he says. Therefore, let us as many as are mature. That word mature means that you've been saved for, for a number of years and you're walking with Christ, okay? 
So being saved for a number of years doesn't make you mature. It's saved for a number of years and walking with Christ. That's the idea. And somebody can be walking with Christ, but they've only been saved for a couple of years or maybe six months. They're not mature believers. They're spiritual, but they're not mature. So it's a combination of both. Now, Paul says this. Therefore, let us, uh, as many as are mature, have this mind. What mind? The mind I just said. I want you to be passionate. I want you to think in the present. I want you to be single-minded. And I don't want you to think that when I'm preaching today or with Paul saying, this is radical. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I want you to have your mind. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. If you think I'm radical, God's going to show you different. That's what, that's what Paul said. And then he kind of pulls back a little bit in verse 16. You know, Paul is a passionate guy. We, we know that, right? Now, nevertheless, to the degree that you have already attained. Now, Paul says this. Where, however you have, whatever you have arrived at in this, in this pursuit of Christ, you might be thinking, Paul is too extreme. Well, whatever you have arrived at, he's saying, okay? Let us walk by the same rule. Whatever God has shown you, walk by the same rule. You do what God has showed you in your pursuit of Christ. And then he says this, let us be of the same mind, the same idea. Whatever God has showed you, you do it. Be of the same mind. Let's have a unity, unity here. But let's at least consider what Paul says and improve on our position, our walk with Christ. And then he says in verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those, note there is, is, is uh, to mark them, scopus, to focus on, note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul says, you find somebody and you mark that person and say, I want to emulate Christ as that person emulates Christ. And I'm going to give you a tip, the best thing you can do. Read biographies and watch the beginning, especially those that have, have passed away, because then you can see the beginning and the end. Those biographies have been a tremendous influence in my life. Proverbs 13, 20 says, he that walks with wise men shall be wise. And the people of the past, especially the people coming out of the Reformation and the Puritans, there was a pursuit and holiness of God that the church today doesn't know. And I don't know that we're capable of knowing because of our culture around us. But we can transcend out of our culture and look to them and try to be influenced by them. And that's what Paul's telling us here in verse 17. Join in my following my example and note those, mark those, focus on those who so walked. Now, he's going to go now to our final point, a perilous pursuit. A perilous pursuit. Now, I'll go back to the game with my brother Frank. When we played the football game with my brother Frank and we ran around the house, on our one side of our house, it was probably about 20 feet wide. There was a row of trees on one side and there was a house and, and bushes on the other side. So you're about 20 feet wide to go around that side of the path. My brother Frank not only would chase us with the football, but then he would put things like lawn chairs and wheelbarrows and different things along the side of the house. And so when you're running away from Frank, you could hit something like that. And it made it very perilous. The Christian walk is like that. You see, when we are following Christ and we're walking with Christ, and we're pursuing Christ. Now listen to this. 
When you make up your mind to pursue Christ and say, I am going to read the Bible through in a year, for example. Or I'm going to memorize this passage of scripture. Now note this, you can be guaranteed the devil will throw obstacles in your way because the thing that he hates the most is somebody that wants to get closer to Christ because he knows that the power is there. And also because our worship now is towards God and the devil wants to be worshipped. And he doesn't want God to be worshipped. That's why he throws idols in our way to get our affections off of God. Now, Paul says this in verse 18. This perilous road came in the way here in this text. It came in the way of false teaching, which we talked about in the beginning of the chapter. In verse 18, he says this. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even, now look at this, weeping. There's two words that you can use for crying. One means kind of you're filled up with tears, and one means you're wailing. This is wailing. He is wailing with tears because of the false teaching. Why? Why is he wailing with that? Because he says, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They are somehow cleverly captivating an audience and making people somehow think they're right with God, but they're not right with God in their message. We talked about the Judaizers. Yes, we believe in the Messiah, but he's the Jewish Messiah. Yes, he died on the cross for our sins, but we have to keep the law in order to procure our salvation. It's dangerous because there's elements, many elements of truth. They say that rat poison is 98% good and 2% arsenic. That's all it takes is that little bit. And because of that, Paul says in verse 19, whose end is destruction. We talked about this earlier. It last uh, two weeks ago, that religion is destructive. Why? Well, Paul says it's here because people perish. They have many truths, but they don't have the whole truth. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Trusting Christ as Lord and Savior. Some people want Christ as, as Savior for file insurance, but they have no no desire to pursue Christ. Want to live their own lives. Well, you know what? That's not the salvation of the Bible. The salvation of the Bible is he is our Lord and Savior. And Paul says these things are such. Who end is destruction, whose God is their belly. That means they just give in to their impulses. I could give my dog a treat and she would eat it. And I could give her another one and she would eat it. I give her another one and she would eat it. I think she would just keep eating until she fell over, right? Just giving in to her impulses. So it's telling you what they're like. And whose glory is in their shame, they glory in things that they should be ashamed of, who set their minds on earthly things. Discipline their mind on earthly things. The very opposite of what God teaches us in Colossians 3. In fact, let's turn there for a second. Colossians 3. We're nearly done here. Colossians chapter 3. Brother Mark read this again. Colossians 3, verse 1, if the idea is since, it's not just life like maybe, but since, then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above 
where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You see the difference, the false teachers? The false teachers have their affection on this world. You could say the health and wealth gospel, for example. You pursue God, he's going to make you healthy and wealthy. See, their, their heaven or their affections are placed on this world. But God says, set your affections on the things of God. What about your pursuit of Christ? What about purging sin? What about personal holiness? What about those things, right? Set your affections there. Set your mind, verse 2, discipline your mind is the idea, on things above, not on things on the earth. This world is perishing. This world is falling apart, right? We live in it. We have to live in it. We have to, be, we have to eat. We have to have clothing. We have to, et cetera, et cetera. Food, clothing, shelter, etc. But as our affections set on the things of this world. In verse 5 it says this. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And then it lists a bunch of sexual sins. Fornication, by the way, is where we get our word. It's pornea. That's where we get our word. Pornography. Set it aside. Don't have anything to do with it is the idea. He, he flips down to verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger. That's a settled disposition. I am angry at somebody. I'm not changing. Put it off. Wrath is losing it. Malice is evil intent. Blasphemy is usually cursing God. Filthy language. Yes, curse words. Yes, but, but also the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 that when we tear somebody down, when you say to somebody, you are selfish, that's filthy language. That's filthy language because you're tearing a person down. We can say your act, what you did today was a selfish act. There's a big difference between the two. And so those things are to be put off and they're a byproduct of our putting our affections on Christ. When our affections come on Christ, then these things will begin to diminish. That's the idea. Now, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up here. Let's go to verse 19 and 20 in Colossians, or excuse me, in Philippians chapter 3. We'll wrap up this chapter and set ourselves up for chapter 4 next week. So chapter 3, verse 19. As we wrap up here, verse 20, excuse me. For our citizenship is in heaven. Why does he say that? Because we don't belong to this earth. You know that? We don't belong here. I don't seem to fit in. Good. You shouldn't. When we were in Ireland, we had the double whammy. We didn't fit in because we're an Irish. People, you know, you can only get so close. But then being a Baptist minister, ooh, that's really bad. You never felt like you fit in in Ireland. Our kids never really felt they fit in. And then they come over to America and they haven't lived here. And it's like you almost felt, don't feel like you fit in here either. So it's a double way. But our citizenship is in heaven. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I think it's around verse 14, what fellowship has light and darkness? The contrast between the believer and the unbeliever is contrasted with light and darkness, and there's no greater contrast. You can't have a really close, intimate relationship between a believer and an unbeliever. Because the most important thing in your life is Jesus Christ, and it's not theirs. And it's a bad sign, and I've seen it in my years, for many years in my ministry, 
when believers hang out mostly with unbelievers. That's a bad sign. Usually when that happens, somebody's just going to drift right out. Doesn't mean we can't be around unsaved. We should be. But the goal is to bring them to Christ. But joint fellowship, close union is with believers. So we don't fit in. That's what he's saying. You don't fit in in this world. So don't get too cozy. Don't put your affections in this world. Because this world, it's not our home. For which you also eagerly late for, for, for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform your lowly body. That means our human, frail, broken, sinful body. That it may be conformed to his glorious body. You know, in a moment's time, when the rapture comes, our bodies will be changed. And our bodies will be glorified bodies. And bodies that can't, that will never die. But even so, even more than that, I think what he's saying here when he says this, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself, he subdues death. Yes, we die because of death, because of sin, but also subdues sin. You see, when we get that glorified body, we won't sin anymore. The idea is that we're not sinless, but when we get saved, God is progressing in our relationship with him to make us sin less and less. Usually it's three steps forward and two steps back. That's how it is with me. Okay, it's a struggle. John Piper was asked, and when you get to stand before God, if you could ask him one question that you don't understand, what would be that question? And you would think, why do you love, why, you know, why is there so much suffering in the world? And why will hunger and, and et cetera? And why hell? And, and he said, I think I'm going to ask him is, why is my sanctification so slow? Why does it happen so slow? And that's a man that really pursues God. So we understand that. But the point is, is that God is going to take away all of our sins someday in the sense of this is that we won't be able to sin. He took away our sins. He doesn't hold it against us. But someday we're not going to be able to sin when we have a glorified body. I think that's what he's focusing on. And though the idea now today is let's pursue God in holiness so we, we sin less and less. And I'll leave you with, with uh, a, a closing, again, a byproduct. Um, McShane, Robert Mary McShane, if I can find it. This was said about his best friend, um, who wrote his biography, Andrew Bonner, was engaged to this woman, Elizabeth Dickinson, at the time. I think he was engaged. And uh, this is what she, she wrote and was later converted. Said this about McShane. Again, a byproduct of our pursuit of God. There was something singularly attractive about Mr. McShane's holiness. It was not his matter, nor his manner, either that struck me. It was just a living epistle of Christ. A picture so lovely, I felt I would have given all the world to be as he was, but knew all the time I was dead in sins. McShane spent hours with Christ every day. And that's the result. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his very um, passionate, powerful message to us today. And I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us. 
The Spirit of God, again, is a personal God, and He um, speaks to us individually. And I pray He would do that. He would show us, Lord, each of us today. He would speak to hearts. I believe He is. And He would point some things out and say, here's some things I want you to do. And I pray, Father, we would make decisions. And Lord, um, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God that loves us so much that you are passionate about pursuing us. And Father, we thank you for all you do and what you're going to do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.